Welcome to the Teachers on Fire podcast, where I profile agents of growth and transformation in education today. Each guest shares their highs, their lows, their passions, their goals, and the resources that are shaping their thinking and inspiring their practice. For show notes and links from each episode, visit teachersonfire.net. You can also follow the show at Teachers on Fire on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And of course, please subscribe to the show wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm your host, Tim Cavey. Let's meet today's guest. Today, I'm excited to be speaking with Pernil Rip. Pernil is a Danish educator living in the U.S., mother of four, soulmate to an incredible man. She's also a highly recognized speaker, literacy expert, the creator of the Global Read Aloud, a prolific blogger, and the author of several books, including Passionate Readers, The Art of Reaching and Engaging Every Child. You can follow Pernille on Twitter at Pernille Rip and visit her blog at PernilleSRip.com. Pernille, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Are you ready to talk education? Sure, always. Why don't you start by telling us a little bit more about your current context in education? What does that look like for you on a daily basis? Well, I have the incredible honor of being a seventh grade English teacher at Oregon Middle School here in um, close to Madison, Wisconsin, in Oregon, Wisconsin. So that means that every single day I get to have my reality checked by about 75 (laughs) kids. um, And it's the best job for me in the world. Because every time I think that I have figured out this whole teaching thing, my students bring me right back down and present me with a new challenge and something that I hadn't thought about and uh, and they keep it real. So every day I get to go there and then sometimes I get to travel around the world teaching other teachers, which is kind of mind blowing and mind boggling um, and uh, happens super organically through the blog. And so that is such an incredible honor because I get to take all of the lessons that my students have taught me and then spread them out to others so that they too can be impacted by the incredible kids I get to teach. And sometimes you can find me on my blog, well, maybe a lot, a couple times a week where I'm sharing Pernille's random thoughts is what that blog should be. Um, But when I'm not there, I'm at home hanging with my kids and my family. So there's definitely a lot going on, but it's all stuff that I'm super passionate about. And so I, I, I wish you could say it doesn't feel like work, But let's be real, it does feel like work, but it feels like really fulfilling, amazing work. And I wouldn't want to do any other work because I get to be with kids like almost (laughs) my entire day. And it's just absolutely incredible. Well, I really respect the fact that you have stayed in the practice. You you remain a practitioner, and I think that just gives so much more value to the stories and the insights that you have to share. So, uh, Pernille, I'd like to start off by getting into story time, speaking of stories, Would you share with us about a low moment or an experience of adversity that you faced somewhere in your teaching or education career and then explain how you overcame it? Well, I was thinking about the big moments, right? The watershed moments where you really realize that you screwed up. But lately, um, I think I've been more focused on the everyday failures, uh, the things that we carry with us as teachers because we we feel so heavy by the time we get home. And all of the times that we've had to reflect on um, and and kind of realize that you were part of the problem. And so when I look back on the past year, I could tell you lots of successes of kids that have 
you know, really embraced who they are and, and have told me how much they love our classroom and how safe they feel and how empowered they feel and how this has been one of their favorite years with reading and writing. And But I could also tell you of the kids that I have failed, that despite my best intentions, every single day of trying to make it matter and of trying to see these kids and helping them feel comfortable in our classroom, it just hasn't been enough. And so I think that's something that we all live with as teachers and where then I might be a little bit different than others is that I write about that a lot and I share those failures and those everyday moments of feeling really helpless and feeling like you are not a good teacher so that others can recognize that that's a completely normal feeling to deal with when you're in education and that we can learn from so much from sitting in that feeling, not to wallow in it, but to reflect on it. And so, for example, I think about one child that I've had the incredible privilege of teaching this year, who from the get-go was nothing but honest as far as their emotions when it came to English and reading and writing, and was quick to also say, it's not you, but it's everything that you're asking me to do, and how easy it is to then kind of just leave that child alone, right? Well, that's somebody else's fight. And yet we decided instead to continue the conversation. And I wish I could tell you that it was amazing and (laughs) that the kid had this incredible reading experience, but that's not the truth. The truth is the child, if you spoke to that child, would still tell you how much they hate reading and writing and, and all of that. But I think what I've learned from that experience that even if we're not seeing the results happen right in front of us, and even if we're not the best person for that child to to help them change their identity when it comes to reading, writing, and even just school and feeling safe, the biggest thing that I can then do is make sure that I'm not a part of the problem. Mm. And so it has been incredibly important for us. And, and, and I say us because it's such a, it's a team thing, right? This isn't just Pernille's crazy you know, show happening in her room, but <laughs> it's, it's, it's a team effort of us going, okay, how can we make this child at least feel welcome and accepted and like they matter at our school? And so I think of the moments, right, with this child where I have felt like a complete failure and like my best idea that I just came up with that I knew was going to finally be the idea that changed something completely failed and was just one more thing that didn't work. And yet that child will still recognize us and acknowledge us and tell us uh, hello and speak to us. And sometimes that's the victory that we have to hang on to. And I think that that's what education really is, right? It's, it's recognizing that we might not be everything a child needs, but as long as we're not further exasperating the problems or the inequity or the hatred that they have surrounding school or life in general or teachers or whatever it is, you know, if we can be a part of the solution, even if we're not the solution, I think that's really huge. And that's what keeps me going, even when I feel like, you know, what am I doing sitting here telling others my great ideas when some of my great ideas aren't working for all of my kids? Hmm. What a powerful message to hear. And you're right. I think many of us, most of us struggle with imposter syndrome on some level. And and the way that you share so transparently, I mean, if the great Pernille Rip ever has moments of doubt or, or, or your confidence is ever, if you find yourself ever questioning what you are doing, then, 
then that does give me so much encouragement, so much inspiration. And, and so again, thank you for sharing those stories. You know, you work in those middle years, as do I. And I think many times we are called to sow the seeds and sometimes we don't see the harvest. Sometimes that comes later down the road. Very much so. <laughs> it's a different ball game in middle school, that's for sure. Now, uh, Pernil, one of the things that I noticed from you in the last few months was a, a phenomenal story. And as soon as I read it, I thought this would be so much fun to hear on Teachers on Fire. So if you don't mind, would you share with us about the encounter that you and your daughter had with the singer Pink? And, and if you don't mind, give us a little bit of the backstory and then walk us through what happened that special night with her. Sure. Uh, yeah, it's been a bit of a whirlwind. And if you were to ask my 10-year-old daughter, she'd be like, well, I'm a little bit famous. And I always <laughs> laugh at that because it's like, you're, you're not, but I love that there's positive attention. And so um, it's a story that I think many people have and uh, a story that is really hard to navigate, especially when you're a parent. But um, our daughter was at a new school last year in third grade and pretty quickly became the victim of some really vicious bullying um, targeted by two other other classmates. And it wasn't just the verbal. There was a lot of language thrown at her, language that she hadn't always understood, but that all of a sudden she would come home and ask us about, but also the physical aspects of it, her, her stuff being taken, her things being taken out of her locker, being pushed and kicked and shoved. Um, she was hit. Mm. And uh, it just continued. And uh, this child that we had sent to school who loved school, who was nervous about starting a new school, but was excited for new friends and was known as kind of this teacher pleaser, uh, you know, helper, all of a sudden became this incredibly withdrawn and angry child. And who would beg us to not send us, send her to school? Um, who would beg us to please not leave her, um, who would ask us things like, can you survive without friends? Um, mm. And who felt so incredibly alone and unsafe. And it wasn't a failure on the school's aspect. There was It was one of those perfect storm moments where there were a lot of needs and not a lot of people. And these kids had figured out the system and had found a way to get, go after Taya, and they did. And so I wish there were so many lessons that we learned from it, especially from the parent role of like how loudly you have to shout to have your child recognized as a victim. And then also the self-doubt you walk through. There was a lot of conversations behind closed doors between um, my husband, Brandon, and I of just like, did we do this? Like, is this our, is this, is our daughter somehow doing this? And how did we fail to raise her? Like, how does she become this victim? And, uh, mm. and it turns out that, that it's, it's usually not <laughs> because mm. of how your child was raised. And we did check with the school, like, is this something she's doing? And they were like, no, it's not. And it just was a really horrific time and it lasted months. Um, and it lasted pretty much all of third grade um, by about January, February, it started calming down a little bit because of some strategic classroom shuffling of children. And also just because we had so many people involved. And yet once the physical and the, and the verbal assault stopped, we sat with a child who now had been through trauma and we couldn't recognize the child. And I was sitting in a PD at my school and we were learning about trauma's effect on the brain. And all of a sudden I just had that moment of going, oh my God, that's my child. 
that is my child that she now sees every situation as a negative thing. She's always wondering what's going to happen next. How is she going to get hurt? There was no trust in school. There was very little trust in adults in school. And so all of her schoolwork was completely paused because it was like we just had to get her back to being in a state of where school was not this place where she was up at, until midnight the night before not being able to sleep because she was so anxious and worried. Right. And so we worked on that. And one of the tools that we used was music. Um, I majored in music in Denmark and uh, have always loved Pink and her message of empowerment for all people and how she puts her neck out there. And and I remember the song Perfect coming out when Tia was, was little and I would blast it. And of course, we would do the uncensored version. And I always <laughs> tell my kids, I'm like, you can hear it, but you can't say it. And they're kind of like, well, you say it. I'm like, no, I don't. That's not true. Um, but we just would blast her music and especially the song Perfect over and over. And I tell Taylor, I was like, listen to the lyrics. Like, you are perfect to me and like change the voices in your head because there was just this incredible self-doubt. And, and she started believing the words that were being thrown at her, that she was worthless, that she was ugly, that nobody wanted her, that they would be better off without her. And it just was like one defeat after another. But Pink's music became this anthem for us. And so when she turned 10, we were like, well, 10's a big deal. And and I noticed that Pink was coming to Milwaukee and I was like, here's our chance. Like it's her first concert. This is going to be amazing. And so we got her tickets and she was like over the moon, like, oh my God. And I'm like, yeah, this is a big deal. Like, <laughs> um, and so we went and of course got there early because she's never been to a show before. And, you know, we're sitting and hanging out in the seats and just people watching and she's got her, you know, whatever it is, like $50 tour t-shirt, you know, and, and, and uh, all of a sudden a woman comes up and she just says, Hey, I'm Pink's assistant. And, and Pink would like to meet Taya. Is that okay? And Taya and I were like, <laughs> what? Like, it was like full confusion. Like, what did you just say? And she's like, Pink saw your story and would like to meet Taya. Um, because of that morning I had posted on Instagram and it had cross posted to Twitter, a picture of Taya holding up the tickets and saying, you know, we're going to pink show tonight to start this new chapter that the bullies didn't win. And that's really what it was. For mm. us. It was this celebration of like, that's over fourth grade has been amazing. Like her teacher has just been so incredible and the school has just been so incredible. And I, we felt like we got our kid back, uh, changed, but still back. And so Pink had seen that. And so uh, it was a blur. We got pulled backstage and stood in this dark hallway. And all of a sudden she came out from her dressing room and she just went straight up to Taya. And she was just like, hey, Taya. And she just gives her this huge hug and starts telling her all about, you know, she's like, what happened? And Taya sharing uh, as much as she can because she's pretty much stunned. And I'm crying at this point, just crying kind of silently through the whole thing because it's so surreal. And and Pink just starts telling Taya, you know, all the things that we've been telling her, that she's beautiful, that she's that she's valuable, that she matters, and that and that Pink was bullied as well. And it was just this incredible moment between two human beings who had this shared experience. And I got a hug and, you know, and it was just like, it was one of those things we just couldn't believe. It. And then, of course, she had to go and get ready. And Taya and I were just silent, like walking back to our seats. And, and you could just see this. I, I, not a transformation because that's a little too dramatic, but just this like air about Taya of like, I am somebody. Right. And, 
even though mom and dad have been saying that for for a year and a half, like the fact that this stranger who we admire so much took the time and gave us her time just to say you matter and I see you and you're beautiful and don't let the bullies win was just this moment for Taya of like, maybe I am okay and maybe I am good enough. Mm. And so the concert was just this incredible experience. And then uh, Pink talked about Taya on stage and then launched into the song Perfect and dedicated it to Taya. And it was just like, it just was incredible. And I'm crying and Taya is like holding my hand and just belting these lyrics out to the world. And it was like, there she is. I'm sorry, this is really emotional. Like there's my kid back. You know, there's the kid who thought that the world was her hers for the picking mm. and that she was good enough and she came back really like for to for good in that concert and and like driving home the next morning she got really quiet and I just looked at her and I was like what's wrong like are you tired you know because it was crazy and it was late and she's like she's like I'm so sad mom like it's over and I was like this isn't over I said this is the beginning like this is the beginning of your new chapter it is now done and that was why I ended up writing the letter to Pink of just like thanking her. She, I, you know, when we think about what other people teach us, I think what Pink once again reminded me of as a teacher is just how much power we have to do good. And when we take those moments of our life and we give other people our time, you know, how much damage, but also how much good we can do. And, uh, and it has really been incredible to just see Taya kind of float on a cloud ever since then. And, and, <laughs> and me too. So, uh, you know, it just, it's, it's been a watershed moment in our life and, and it's going to be fun now, right? Because like, that's all over. So what's going to be the next thing? Cause that's how it is with kids. There's always something that's going to pop, pop up. Well, I did want to ask that. I mean, how has that journey been for your daughter since that moment? Have things improved? Is... Yeah. How, how is she doing? Yeah. It continues to just be better. Um, you know, this year, the, the fourth grade team at her school just spent so much time once again during the summer when they're not getting paid, just brainstorming of how they were going to kind of change the vibe of this class and, uh, and, and who was going to be supported. And it has been so incredibly positive. It hasn't been bump free. There was moments in the, especially at the beginning of the year where we were definitely holding our breath going, Oh no, here we go again. But now to see this kid who is so excited for fifth grade, who of course thinks pink is like her BFF, <laughs> um, you know, yeah. who's, who's just like this empowered, uh, kid has just been incredible and it was funny too because she came back to me and she goes a couple of days later she goes hey mom I, I'd like to start a YouTube channel and I was like oh for what and she's like well I really want to put messages out there for other kids in case they need to hear that they're good enough she's like because I could do that and I was like you know there's that activism piece right and I was like that's amazing and I was like I love you you're 10 no you can't have a YouTube channel I said <laughs> yeah. but but like keep like but what else can you do are there people at your school that you that right now need someone to go up there mm. you know they say and they say like and suicide among like kids right is like on the rise like in middle school or suicide is now a bigger leading cause of death than car accidents 
And I just think about that all the time. And then when they look at the research of like what stops kids from like committing suicide or thinking about it is usually the power of one, one person. If a kid has one friend who's by, by their side, the chances of being bullied or being um, pushed into like these incredibly unhealthy social interactions are so much lower. Right. And I just think about like, Taya, maybe you can be the one for other people. And so it's been interesting to see, like, it'll be, it'll be interesting to see long-term, like how this plays out. Right. Well, I love that, Pernille. And thank you so much for sharing. I, I think a lot of people will be blessed by that story. And uh, Pink, if you are listening, thank you so much. Pernille, you chronicled all of this so well. It was moving for me to read. And I, I think that speaks to the power of writing and publishing. So do you have a quick word to share with educators out there who are Maybe they've been intrigued by the thought of blogging, but they feel reluctant to take that step, to take that risk of, you know, whatever lies on the other side of the publish button. <laughs> well, I think for me, um, it will always be that it has been such an incredible reward for me. Um, I never meant to blog. Uh, my husband was the one that told me about education blogs and maybe I would like writing because I think I wouldn't stop talking about all the things <laughs> that I had going on in my classroom. And it was, it was his way of being like, that's great. Go process it over here and then we'll talk about it. Right. Um, but, uh, and I, and, and it has changed my life and that's, that's not a over dramatization. Like it has completely and literally changed my life. I, I wouldn't be speaking to you if it were not for writing and reflecting and that blog that started so many years ago now but there's also a dark side to it and so I think you need I think you need to be really aware of that that the minute you do publish anything while the benefits are incredible and especially the human benefits as far as the connections I have made with other human beings the network that I have the people that I call mentors the people that I'm connected to all come from that blog there is also that you have to you have to grow a little bit of a thicker skin and you also have to do it for the right reasons and so why I tell people I don't always tell them to publish but I tell them instead like reflect and whether that's publicly like on a blog like I do and I'll tell you like the reason why I reflect publicly is because it keeps me honest what I'm writing about is actually what's happening in the classroom and mm -hmm. and if it's not I could be called on that out on that super easy. It also just keeps me accountable to like, these are my hopes and dreams and this is the teacher I want to be. Right. But at the same time too, like you can do that without the publish publishing aspect of it. Um, you know, whether it's reflecting with colleagues or whether it's reflecting in a Facebook group or um, on Voxer or in a journal or that public um, aspect, I think that's the biggest tool that we have as teachers is to constantly look at what we did and how we can grow better. But there is also something about going out there and, re and recognizing that teaching is not perfect. And I think for me, that has been really important that if I'm going to write, it's going to be a, from a place of authenticity and not this perfect story of all of my amazing lessons and all of my incredible students, although they are incredible, that always are perfect and do everything I say. We don't need more perfect educators out there. Lord knows they're everywhere. <laughs> um, yeah. And uh, I think we need real examples, but with realness also comes vulnerability. And I think about that and I'm lucky, like I have a lot of privilege as a white woman in America, as a, uh, you know, as a middle-class teacher in the community that supports their teachers. 
And yet I've still gotten death threats. My kids have gotten death threats. You know, I get super nasty stuff. And there's also like the local pushback, right? Of just like, when you put everything out there, then people know that. And so I think my bigger advice would be find a way to recognize what you're going through and reflect on that. And then if that includes blogging, go for it, but don't just blog for money or don't just blog for, for fame or whatever this weird notoriety is within like education, like blog for the right reasons, because otherwise we don't need more voices out there doing it for the wrong ones. Hmm. That's a great takeaway blog for the process, for the reflection, for, for what it produces in our own lives and in our own practice. And then uh, the, the actual publishing part should be secondary, but focus first on the process. So Pernille, speaking of your blog, I honestly can't recommend it enough. Your writing is exceptional. And I'm sure by the way that you feel that your writing has evolved over time. You're a master of story. The resources you share are phenomenal. As one personal example, you compiled that brilliant list of dystopian novels. I feel like that came out last year. And I'm sure I've shared it at least a dozen times. It's helped me pick out some great titles to read and listen to in the car with my boys. So when you think about literacy in the classroom today, and and you've written multiple books on this, what is your single biggest piece of advice for teachers? Is is there something that you've been thinking about maybe just just recently or or something that you would like to pass on that that you'd like teachers to start doing or stop doing? Or or what is it around literacy right now for you? Well, I've been incredibly inspired by the work um, of of the four phenomenal women behind Disrupt Text, um, Trisha Bervia, Kim Parker, um, and, and, uh, Julia Torres, and I'm going to slaughter her name, Raina. She's amazing. And the work that they have done on just pushing the notion of if we're sitting with the status quo, we are implicit in the work um, and in the social inequities that exist within literacy. And so how do you internalize that and use use that in your own practice? And so for me, I think the biggest advice that I have for other teachers right now is to disrupt what's happening within literacy, both locally and, and bigger. And so what that looks like on, from a practical standpoint for me is that continued dialogue with students what is working for you? How can I be a better teacher? Why do you like reading? Why do you not like reading? And and do that for writing as well or any any subject area. And then think about too that disruption then is like what are the mentor texts we're using? What are the the stories that kids are reading? What are what is the media that we're subjecting kids to? And is that also disrupting the societal view of what's average and what's normal, or are we just further perpetuating the same stereotypes? And so for me, like that has been incredible work to follow and be inspired by because it takes everything that I already believe in, which is that every child is on this incredible singular reading identity journey um, where I have to put them at the center, but then also how does that reflect in their worldview and who are these kids that we're going to send out of our classrooms and how are they going to disrupt this worldview that we have right now? And so for me, um, that work looks really different because it, it has so much, to, so many components to it and can be both really, really personal, but also on a bigger scale. And so if I had to boil it down for one biggest piece of advice it, right now, it'd probably be like, 
get connected with people who are doing crazy things such as the, the women behind Disrupt Text because that can in turn empower you to start thinking about your own practice. And, and there is so many things, like you said, there's so many things that we need to be doing better. I mean, reading identity is at the core of my work. Joy of reading as is at the core of my work, but so is social activism. I think about Global Read Aloud and uh, how I always get accused of the book choices being political. And I'm like, yeah, of course <laughs> they are. Because this is my chance on a broader wor- on a broader scale to impact the world to think about stories that are not being shared, mm. um, and so there's a lot going on there. But yeah, so a couple of former guests, Pernille, of the Teachers on Fire podcast, wanted to make sure that I asked you this one: if you had to pick out one kids lit or or teen lit book from this past year, which one would it be? And I, I know that's an impossible task, and I'm not asking you to crown a champion or anything like that. But what titles come to mind? Yeah, this is my students do this to me all the time. They're like, which one is your favorite? And I was like, I can tell you my favorite for today. (laughs) So a couple titles that I feel are really impactful and just just world changing for me right now is uh, Kwame Alexander's new picture book, The Undefeated, um, illustrated by Kadir Nelson. I can't get through reading that picture book aloud without choking up and because there's just so much to un- unpack within that picture book about uh, U.S. history and, and, and the state of our world right now. So I think that that book is, speaks to me on in so many different levels. Um, as far as other books that are... Oh, that's so hard. Um, I think what's really exciting to me, there's actually a couple upcoming books that are, that I've been plugging for a while that are really, really exciting because they show the shift within kid lit as far as the stories that are being told and at what age. So for example, K.A. Holtz or Carrie Holtz's new book, Red Wooden Ponytail, is a free verse book that my students have had access to for a few months because I got an advanced review copy, comes out this fall. And it's a middle grade story featuring two girls who realize uh, within the book that they have feelings for each other. And as one of my kids said after she read it, she goes, you know what I loved about it? And I said, what did you love? And she goes, I loved that just like for us, it wasn't a big deal when they came out to their friends. Instead, it was like navigating just like what it meant to be a kid and recognizing these emotions and then, you know, having a crush on someone and not being sure if they liked you back rather than it being this incredibly harmful experience, which, of course, many of our kids are still going through. And so I love that representation of where the, the issue isn't the fact that these girls have feelings for each other, but the issue is that they're figuring out who they are Hmm. overall as middle schoolers. And so that book just gives me so much hope because I feel like it's such a beautiful example of, of just the better representation that is still very, very um, in the infancy stages. We need way more representation. We need way more, more books, but I just, it gives me hope that these stories are being, being written and, and being shared and being published because they were being written before <laughs> they just weren't being published. And now they're out there on a mass market. And it's been also really interesting just watching how my students are gravitating towards, we call them a lot of the time blind spot stories where they just, they've never read about someone's experience from that. And it has been a blind spot for them. And now because of these books, they can sort of think about it. Another book that's really rocking my world right now is, um, uh, Renee Watson and Ellen Hagen's Watch Us Rise. And, and it's because it's being used right now in our Black Student Union. Some of our girls 
um, have a book club that I get to be part advisor for. And to see that I read it, loved the book, but to see kids who are sitting and living these identities, uh, these lives where their identity is being reflected on the page and how it's empowering them has just been a phenomenal experience. And one where I really sit in awe and I go, I have so much hope for the, for the future because these kids are in it. And so those are, those are some of the books. Um, there's so many books. I'm using Trevor Noah, Born a Crime right now, Young Readers Edition as a read aloud for my students. And that's blowing their minds and the conversations that are happening. So that was a trick question. Because I could give you like 45 titles. (laughs) Well, you know, that last one, Born a Crime, uh, my wife and I listened to a lot of that audio book. It was really her and I just happened to be around her a lot. And so he's got a phenomenal story to share. But in the bigger picture, what I hear you saying, Pernil, is just recognizing the power of story and voice and as you said, it's not necessarily intended to be partisan, but it does become political in a in a sense, right? Because that is that is the power of literature is to represent the voices of those who maybe can't speak for themselves or are underrepresented in our process today. I think it's interesting too that things like understanding and empathy and kindness and hearing about other people's stories has been politicized because it's like how is that a political thing? That should just be a <laughs> yeah. human thing. Like how, how can I be, how can I be charged with being political when it's really just about understanding? And so that I think it's a very uh, snapshot of our society and how polarized it is, at least in the U S right now. Mm-hmm. Okay. So uh, I'm going to ask you a, a few questions just to sort of unpack the person that you are starting with your professional goals. Is there something that you look back on this year and say, I want to improve in my practice this coming year? Or maybe is there a project that you're currently working on? I hinted at another book. Is there another book on the way? Tell us what's going on with Perneal Rip right now. Um, I'm always reflecting and growing. And so my, my goals right now are to um, become a much better teacher of writing and especially writing as a tool for social activism for our students. And then um, I'm just, I want to continue my own work as far as just unpacking um, my role um, as, as part of just bias and equity and anti-racism and, and how can I bring that into the classroom as I'm, I'm unpacking all of that. So I'm on a, on a very personal journey as far as within that work and getting inspired by a lot of people and also having some really hard reflection um, in that that's impacting my work. And so, yeah, there's a book in there that's kind of being written and it's more just, um, it's a zoom in to our classroom as far as like, it's like taking, pa- it's not taking passionate readers, but it's kind of like people read passionate readers and they're like, I love it. And I love all the ideas, but what happens on day one and day 17 and day 47 and then day 138 when the same kid is telling you that they still hate reading. And so I started playing around with the idea of like, well, what if I did like a book that was like, here it is laid out. And here are all the different components because often people will come to me and they'll say, well, I have this one kid. And I'm like, yeah, but that's not an easy, that's not an easy answer. Like there's so many components. I started writing the book and then I stopped because I recognize that right now 
um, I needed to grow a lot more. And so that's why I'm saying like right now, it's like in the baby, baby stages, like there's ideas, but it really just means that the next couple of years, I'm just going to be learning and paying attention. And my students are going to be teaching me. It also came from my students. They were like, can we be in a book? We, we have things to say. And I was like, yes, you do. Oh my gosh. Yes, you do. And so I want to include their voices, but I also want the next next group of kids voices so but there's balance right to be had too because I think education is all consuming either way Mm. so for me all of a sudden I realized too okay if I'm saying yes to a book then what am I saying no to and a lot of that was my 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 family and simply also being a better teacher and so there's that balance between yes I want to share with the world what we're doing but I can't do that if what I'm doing is not well, <laughs> like if, if I'm not a, a decent teacher, then I don't have any business sharing what I'm doing. And so there's that balance to be had there. But maybe, maybe it'll end up just as a long series of blog posts. Um, you know, who knows? I think more people read my blog than read my books. So it's, it would make more sense to put it out as a blog post, honestly, than a book. <laughs> Pernille, you would know better than me, but I know there are prolific bloggers like yourself out there who have just published sort of a best of, and people really appreciate that. I mean, to have that, for example, in a Kindle or e-reader form is kind of nice. So maybe that is the next step, but I'm definitely (laughs) not going to give you advice. So you just mentioned that critical area of balance. And I think any educator who is dabbling with the content creation in any form has that tightrope to walk. So I, I noticed on Twitter, you said one person asked you, how do you do it all? And your answer was, I don't. <laughs> so on that note, is there a personal habit or a productivity hack or maybe a routine that contributes to your success and allows you to, I won't say do it all, but to do everything that you do? Yes, it's called my husband. Um, <laughs> my husband Brandon is is the powerhouse in this duo, and uh, he has really supported me fully. And so he he does a lot of stuff so that I can do these things that take me away from the family. Um, and without him and the, my team at school, all of this crazy extra stuff would not be happening. I can tell you that. I think my only productivity, (laughs) there's two that I live by. One is essentialism. Like I say no a lot Mm -hmm. um, because one, I don't want my voice to dominate anything. I feel like there are so many voices out there who's, who, who really need the space that my voice otherwise could take. And two, I don't want to do everything. Like if I say yes to something, I want to give it my like a hundred percent of me and my passion and all of that. I don't want to commit to something that I'm not going to like just give my best on. And then my other one is just my close friend will tell you like I'm a task slayer. Like I am all about like if stuff pops up in my email, I get it done that day. Hmm. And so unless it's like a bigger thing, because if it sits there and waits and lingers, it's not going to get done. And so I've gotten really good at being really efficient with my time. And I will say like blogging for me, those are first drafts. And so it's not until after they're published and like maybe the next day I'll be like, I should go back and check that for spelling mistakes. And then it's when <laughs> I'll find it because like for me, blogging is truly just like getting it out of my head. 
And then other stuff, you know, you just create routines. Like I think about the global read aloud, this is the 10th year. And so I've got like systems set up because it's just me running it. I'm headquartered. And so you just, you get into the habit, but I think being really, really um, cognizant of, of what you say yes to, and then also just getting the stuff done that can get done right away. And then knowing when to walk away. And I've had to learn that. Like mm-hmm. my, my classroom is never going to be perfect. My lesson planning is never going to be perfect. There's always going to be so much more that I can do if I want to sacrifice my personal happiness for it. And at some point I don't because my kids need me. And so like when I get home from work, um, I put my phone away and uh, I try to be with my kids and present until they go to bed. And once they're in bed, that's when I then get stuff done. And then I try to get some sleep after that too. Well, that was gold, Pernille. And there's so much I'd like to ask you. I'd like to actually hear about your sleep window and and so, so many more questions, but we need to move on. I do want to ask before we get into the quick picks, Okay, I like to sort of get a snapshot of you from outside of education. So if we can put the school and the lesson plans and literacy aside, what is something else that ignites your passions and brings you alive as a human being? I'm learning how to relax. And that sounds dumb. Like that sounds like it's not a hobby or anything. But I like being busy, but I've had to re like I've had to rewire my brain that busy also means like reading a book or hanging with my kids. So a couple of things that I'm like passionate about right now in learning how to relax is like cooking, cooking really good meals for my, my family. I love to bake. I've always been a baker, but also gardening. And so it's just like all of that, like, how can I walk away from my computer and, and have a better life. And every day I write down like all the things that brought me happiness Um, as I make my to-do list for the day, I I look back at the previous day in my bullet journal and, uh, it has been really huge for me because I started to recognize that taking the time, for example, to do five minutes of yoga every morning, going for a walk, cooking a decent meal, reading books to my kids and all of that, that was like my hobby because I had this moment of like, man, I'm not learning anything. Like all these people are learning how to do stuff. My husband's like super into like teaching himself stuff. And then I realized, my my thing isn't that I need to learn more because I already do that with all my schoolwork. Like I'm constantly reading PD books and listening to podcasts and pushing my thinking. My my goal is to like stop learning and just being. And so that has been huge for me. And I'm super pumped for summer because we're traveling and we're hanging by the pool and I'm reading books and I'm going to hang out with my kids because they're growing and they're huge and they're super fun to be with most of the time. <laughs> most of the time. Amen to that. Okay. Well, Pernille, it's time for your quick picks. And here I'm interested to know who are the education voices and resources that are shaping your practice and inspiring your thinking today. So starting at Twitter, tell us about someone we should follow there and share why they've been inspiring you lately. So there's a there's a couple. I feel like I keep cheating. Um, <laughs> Deb Reese and the rest of the Diversity Jedi has been really transformational as far as pushing my thinking, um, holding me accountable when I am screwing up, which I do all of the time. Um, so there, that work has been foundational in, in shifting my practice and, and giving me inspiration. Also, Valeria Brown um, behind Clear the Air. It's just, I mean, talk about an incredible free PD happening all year on Twitter and really pushing um, conversations within, and not just equity, but just like in life in general. Um, and then I think um, 
also, like I mentioned, the women behind Disrupt Text um, uh, have just been so incredible. So that would be Kimberly Parker, or Dr. Kimberly Parker, Julia Torres, Lorena German, and Trisha Bervia are all people that I tune into a lot. And I think that's been a huge thing for me this year is just like diversifying um, my Twitter stream to kind of move away from people who not just look like me, but also were thinking along the same ways as me. Like I was recognizing that I needed to be in spaces more where I was just totally clueless and I got to be a sponge. And all of the women um, that I have mentioned have definitely just allowed me to learn so much and hopefully <laughs> have helped me become a better practitioner, but also just a better human being overall. And and I get excited when I see what they share and the work that they're pushing out there. Point us to an ed tech tool that you currently love using in your classroom or somewhere in your professional practice. Um, I'm like super blank on this because um, we don't actually use a lot of tools in our classroom, which is weird, but um, I really love my AirPods. That's going to be my tech tool because they're really fantastic as far as just me i'm an introvert so being able to put in air just anything that can allows me to shut down so here's why i I had a hard time because like we use whatever tools my students need so it might be like skype or twitter or you know the chromebook suite or google classroom but i feel like for me it has been so much more about not picking certain tech tools and instead just like what do we need to make this impactful and powerful and valuable, which is kind of the spirit of the global read aloud as well. Like there's no official tech tool because it's just like whatever works for you. And so it changes every year. And it's truly like what my students bring in and they're like, let's do this. I'm like, all right, sounds good. But then we've also tried to step away from tech as we're going one-to-one Chromebook this coming year. We've really tried to reclaim paper, paper and pencil and writing, handwriting a lot more. Um, in order to practice certain skills and, and practice being communicators in a different way. So that was a hard question for me as I reflected on it. Well, you just slipped in handwriting there, and I am biting my tongue because I'd love to hear your thoughts. I know you've got some, I can tell, but let's move, let's move on. Recommend one book, and here I guess we're thinking more in the adult lit or or somewhere in the professional literature, but uh, or or it might be one that you just enjoy personally. I already asked you for a couple of titles in the kids and teen lit area, but have you been reading something lately, or or can you share one of your all time faves? Sure. Um, I think one of my, the, there's a book that I keep handing out whenever I have PD and it's um, uh, Troublemakers by Carla Shalaby. And if um, it was brought on my radar by uh, the work of the clear the air hashtag in the group. And uh, Carla just is this incredible researcher that goes out and just looks at kids and doesn't present answers as far as like, here's what you should do as far as kids who feel disconnected from school, but really just allows us to sit back and go, oh my gosh, what are, what are we doing to these kids who are coming to us and, and then get this label of troublemakers. And it has just been such a profoundly impactful book for me because it took all of the things that I've been writing about and speaking about and thinking about for gosh, 11 years now and just put it much more succinctly and so much better. And so it's been so great to be able to take this book and hand it to others and say, just sit with this book. And in it, in the, even in the introduction, she talks about, you know, these kids 
that constantly get labeled as you know frequent flyers or whatever it is we label them in order to not call them troublemakers like right. what if we saw them as canaries in our gold mine and that they were the ones that alerted us to the poison in the air of our schools and like that has just been so transformational and empowering in what I've been trying to do within my own classroom as far as the humanity that I want to protect in these kids that are coming to us and really keeping behavior at the core of the conversation as far as like this is a way they're communicating and how can we tap into that and so I love that book. I don't read a lot of adult books. I think think they're really descriptive and boring, um, <laughs> which is not true. And then I always get a ton of recommendations for books. But um, I have really been digging Amanda Lovelace's poetry lately, The Witch Doesn't Burn in this one, and The Princess Saves Herself in this one. And I've also been able to bring some of those into my classroom and, and, and turn them over to, to some of the kids, and they've loved them as well. Are you a podcast listener? If you are, I mean, all of our listeners clearly are. Tell us about one that you are enjoying and and explain why. So one that we've been uh, loving, and when I say we, I mean my teaching team, is, is the More Perfect podcast from NPR, which takes Supreme Court cases and like breaks them down and, and goes into further detail. It's also one that we've been listening to as a family because all of a sudden it just talks about history and why our society is the way it is. And so if you haven't checked out more perfect, that would be a, be a huge one. But I, I bump around a lot uh, for podcasts. I tend to follow, follow people and thoughts rather than specific podcasts. Um, but I know that there's so many just incredible stories being shared out there. It's super fun to go into Stitcher or into like the podcast store and search for people and see all the different places where they've been speaking um, or just ideas and then see what's out there on it. So I do love podcasts, especially when I'm driving. Um, Cause it's just like one more way to like blow your mind, right. To like walk away <laughs> with new ideas. Um, and for those people running it like you, like, thank you. Like you are helping everybody else learn a lot more. Well, thank you so much. And did I hear that Stitcher is your platform of choice, your favorite podcast app? It, it is. Yeah. It just makes my life easier for some reason. Last question, Pernille, just for fun. What are you or maybe your family watching on Netflix these days? Well, we have been totally obsessed, of course, with HBO and Game of Thrones. Um, and so we've actually been slacking on our Netflix watching, I think. I've been watching a lot of Danish TV. Uh, I'm from Denmark, and they have an app where I can watch. So, for example, I was just watching Nikolai Kostovello, who wrote, he was uh, Jamie Lannister on Game of Thrones, took a film crew through Greenland and did five episodes on it. So um, I know we have a couple of things that we want to like start binging on in Netflix, like Derby Girls. We've been watching Sex Education too, which was really funny and highly inappropriate for anyone um, young. <laughs> but, you know, just we don't watch a lot of TV, mostly because I fall asleep. Um, so it's not one of those like, oh, TV is so beneath me. It's more like, no, I just fall asleep. <laughs> that makes a lot of sense. Pernille, this conversation has been nothing short of amazing. And so for those who have resonated with your message today, as I know I have, what are the best ways for them to follow you and find you online? Well, it turns out that I am the only Pernille Rip in all of North America. Um, and so I'm highly Googleable, <laughs> and uh, which makes my life a lot easier uh, for others. So I'm on Twitter under my name, Pernille Rip. My blog is Pernille S. Rip because PernilleRip.com was 
uh, is actually owned by a company, um, which is super funny. Instagram is also pretty less rip. And then, um, you know, I hang out a lot in my Facebook group, passionate readers. I think there's like 6,000 educators in there sharing crazy ideas and asking questions. And that's been an amazing resource to be a part of as well as the global read aloud. Um, and that can be found on the globalreadaloud.com. And of course, I'm in Oregon, Wisconsin, and I always tell, tell people, like, if you're in the area, come talk to my kids, because I might just be the outside voice for them, but, like, truly, if you want to learn something, come ask the kids, and even better, like, go back and talk to your own kids. I say this all the time when I'm out speaking, which is probably stupid of me, but I'm like, you know, we have the best professional development sitting right in our classrooms. Mm. And I think we forget that sometimes. And so tap into the voices that so want to be heard within your own community. But if you are ever in Oregon, Wisconsin, come on by. We are <laughs> hanging out, hopefully doing something worthwhile. Who knows, it might be one of those days, but you're more than welcome to come. Well, thank you for that invitation. That would be amazing. Again, thank you so much, Preneel, for sharing your time with the podcast today. With everything that you do say no to, I'm so thankful for this yes. And enjoy the rest of your Sunday. Best wishes for a relaxing and refreshing summer with the family. Take care and let's talk again soon. Sounds good. You too. Thanks a lot. Thanks for joining me today here on the Teachers on Fire podcast. For show notes and links from this episode, visit teachersonfire.net. You can also follow the show at Teachers on Fire on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and Medium. And again, please do subscribe to the show wherever you listen to podcasts. Next, I'll invite you to leave any questions, suggestions, or feedback in response to anything you hear on the Teachers on Fire podcast using the Anchor app. Just find Teachers on Fire on Anchor right there in your mobile device. The rest is easy, and I'll be happy to play your voice message here on the show. I'd also like to thank all those who encourage and support the podcast on Twitter, and that's where I spend a lot of my time in between episodes. At Mr. Underscore J underscore Mayor tweets, I'm proud to teach across the hall from one of the top 30 IT influencers of 2019. Congratulations, Teachers on Fire, on this accomplishment. Jordan is referring there to a list that came out this week from edtechmagazine.com that included me and the Teachers on Fire podcast in a list of 30 must-read K-12 education IT influencers. Thanks for this shout-out, Jordan. Jordan is a great friend and a thoughtful educator, and I'm equally proud to teach across the hall from him. I'd strongly encourage you to give his blog a follow at mrmayor.ca. Next tweet, at Bartlett Health, and that's Jeff, tweets, commute podcasts this week. And I'm going to read his lineup that he posted. He This is what he was listening to through the week. First up, he's got at Vrainwaves. They've got an episode called Learning Through History. Then he's got At Teachers on Fire, episode 85 with Andrew Milne. Then he's got At HBO Chernobyl podcast. And it's interesting, that one was recommended by Andrew Milne. So I don't know if that's how Jeff got onto it, but uh, that one seems to be drawing a lot of listens as well. That's At HBO Chernobyl podcast. And then one I'm not familiar with, at SYSK Podcast, and that's an episode called How Barcodes Work. 
Thanks for that, Jeff. Not only do I appreciate the shout out as a podcast addict myself, I'm always interested to hear what other people are listening to as well. Next up, we've got at Hess Teacherist, and that's Deanna tweeting, just caught the at Teachers on Fire podcast with Tara Martin EDU, and I'm super excited for her picture book and message. I use picture books with my seniors when I teach the narrative unit, and I can't wait to make this book a part of the class. It'll be a great exemplar for the college essay. Thanks so much, Deanna. My conversation with Tara Martin back in episode 82 is still drawing great reviews, so if you haven't caught that one yet, be sure to check it out. And one more tweet, this one from at Nicole, and that's N-I-C-O-1-E. That's Nicole Jarvis. She tweets, I'm on a third repeat of this podcast episode with at Mama Wolf to two and Teachers on Fire. Super grateful to be able to reflect on others' lived experiences in education. Topics include navigating parent conflict, self-care, hyperdocs, podcasting with students, and more. Well, another huge thanks for that one, Nicole. I don't often hear about a triple listen. So I'm thrilled to hear that Jennifer's message resonated with you. And yes, if you haven't heard Jennifer share her story about going from burnout to teacher of the year, make sure to catch her on episode 84. I will also invite you to check out the new Teachers on Fire magazine on Medium. And this is a really exciting project that I started earlier this year. Our most recent article is called Leadership Lessons thermostat versus thermometer. And that one is by Justin Belt. Justin writes, the power lies in the small intentional changes, whether high-fiving students in the hallway or opening class with culture and community building activities like welcome circles. Each thing that happens with the goal of establishing a mindful, self-aware and bonded community of learners serves to establish a new temperature. Justin is putting out great stuff. Really appreciate his place on the team. And then the second piece to come out this week is from Caitlin Giordano. And she published one called On Teaching Writing. Caitlin writes, change is coming. As educators, we need to continue bringing writing to the foreground, bringing attention to its influence and lay the groundwork for this change. We need to ensure we have the tools needed to help students find their voice. So, so good. The Teachers on Fire magazine is a Medium publication, and you'll find it on medium.com or on the Medium app. If you're already an education blogger, consider joining our growing writing team. You can continue to publish content on your own blog and keep full credit and ownership of your content on Medium. Message me at Teachers on Fire on any social media platform for more details. Again, I'm your host, Tim Cavey, and I'm so grateful that you decided to spend some of your day listening to this podcast. Wherever you are, whether you're working out in the gym, driving on a long commute, washing dishes, in the shower, wherever it might be, I hope that in some way this content ignited your thinking and inspired your practice today. And I'll meet you next week right here on the Teachers on Fire podcast.